On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a look at the dark side of surveillance culture in BBC One's The Capture, exploring a real-life crime story in ITV's A Confession, witnessing the birth of a monster in Fox News' origin story The Loudest Voice, and enjoying some bite-sized marital strife from Nick Hornby in State of the Union. Plus, Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom stop by to talk about fairies. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that not only went off the rails last week, but was sent crashing through people's houses before careening off a cliff as all discipline was lost and Ben Travis was allowed on here to start banging on about reality TV, for which I can but apologise. It's back to business this week, though, and rest assured that I have most soundly read Ben to filth for his <laughs> crimes. <laughs> Joining me on the podcast this week as I return from the US in my new role as public enemy number one are two fellow members of the fake news media. To my left, a woman who continues to spread lies besmirching the good name of Farscape and spreading untruths about science fiction in general. It's Terry Pants on Fire White. Hello. Hi, James. How, uh, how long do we have to wait until we can talk about what happened? I have to, it's like, but then that would be as if there's only two of us in the room and no one would suspect that there's another third okay. member of the team. Continue. So I should, Thank before you. we move Thanks on, say that. that to my right is a man who expects you to swallow towering monoliths of misinformation, peddling such howling whoppers as the idea that, I don't know, Daenerys somehow earned her fire and fury <laughs> moment in the Bells episode of Game of Thrones. It's Boyd, the big little liar, Hilton. Wow. Hello. Welcome back, <laughs> the conquering hero Thanks. of yeah. journalism. It's, it's been emotional. Um, what was that phrase again? I still don't understand what thing to fill. Read you to fill. Read you to fill. I still don't know what it means. Well, neither do I, but I listened to the podcast when I wasn't here and it was a thing. No, it was, yeah. It's yeah. still a thing. But ben, still ben, a thing. ben did something wrong earlier today. And, um, <laughs> did you read wrong. him to fill? <laughs> like your did, pupil. He did something wrong earlier today and we were having a, a WhatsApp exchange about it and he said, oh, I, I'm fully prepared to get read to fill. And he totally took all the heat out of the situation. Yeah, because he's a smart kid. How can Funny. I bollock him after that? Yeah. He's a smart kid. I ended up just sending him a RuPaul gif. Oh. <laughs> I should have thought that. of that when you, when you <laughs> took me into a room to bollock me as well. Um, okay, good, good, good. So, yes, that was... Uh, you know, I missed the 50th podcast. Last week's was the 50th Pilot TV podcast, and I fucking missed well, it. Well, so here's the thing. I thought it was a year, so I went and did some research. And actually, it should have been our year, but we put back the first recording by a couple of weeks. So it's in, <laughs> it's in two weeks' time. Okay. And I was like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be amazing if it's the year anniversary when James isn't here, we can make a big thing out of it. Little did I know that we were missing the 50th episode. Yeah, that was the 50th episode. Until we uploaded that it. It should have been some kind of event, and in many ways it was. But just, you know, not the kind I had in mind. So come on then. Hi. Let's cut to the chase. So, yeah. Tell us. I, I, I may have had some difficulties. <laughs> um, so, yes, as as people may have uh, heard on A, my Twitter feed, or B, Newsweek, The Washington Post, <laughs> The Independent, and a number of other uh, outlets. Daily Mail. The Daily, Daily Mail. Mail. Yeah, we don't talk about them. Uh, also, I think it's, it should characterise the fact that most people asked me for a quote, they didn't, and also got a fact wrong. And I was and, like, uh, yeah. My, my, my favourite coverage was in the Daily Mail, of course. You were, you were kind of in the sidebar of a shame, first of all, as a big showbiz story. And the headline in the Daily Mail said something like, blah, 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 I'm paraphrasing. Uh, British journalist gets in trouble on the border, and he's only there to review Star Wars. Yeah. So... 
Where's your review of Star Wars? Yeah. Well, that was the fact that I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we're all I waiting. Not, you got to review a film that isn't finished. All I'm saying. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, that gave me the most fear. I was like, oh my God, they've used the R word. I know. He's not reviewing. He's, He's not reviewing. <laughs> God help us. Uh, no, Where did uh, they get your photo from? They took that photo off my Facebook page without asking me. Uh, although, though, uh, I, I give massive props to the website in America. I can't remember the name of it. Who their pit research? They went to my Twitter timeline. Didn't go very far, and it's a picture of me with two Infinity Gauntlets on, which <laughs> is the best thing ever. Yes, uh, I think the Washington Post might have used that one as well. One of their yeah. little. Uh... I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. That, that's that's how I'm due to be remembered now. It's like double Thanos. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, also the worst part of the Daily Mail article is, uh, and the most mortifying part of this whole thing. So I should say, uh, what happened essentially was, I arrived in America as you do. I went to customs. I went to the desk. They said essentially give me your passport I gave him my visa so I have a journalism a journalism visa a journalist visa I gave that to them and he said what do you do I said I'm a journalist and he looked at me and basically said you're part of the fake news media and it was like okay and I just assumed obviously as you would that he's joking Uh, but then he said have you ever worked for CNN or MSNBC I was like no no I write about you know the Film, film things and the, the TV. And uh, and he went off on one about how the fake news media is destroying American democracy and spreading lies and how all truth comes from YouTube. And uh, and I was a bit I was a bit taken aback by this because it wasn't a joke <laughs> and it's a little intimidating. Because you know how like even if you have not got anything illicit on you and you're totally entitled to be there you know customs is always a little bit of an unnerving oh, experience yeah, totally. just yeah. because getting incredibly nervous, you yeah. get the impression that they can do anything they want to you and yeah. disappear you and no one will ever know <laughs> um and so I kind of didn't say anything. I did make a little, oh, 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 oh no, you know, oh, I'm just here to write about Star Wars. And he's like, yeah, fake news. And I was like, well, you know, we'd give Attack of the Clones five stars. <laughs> that didn't go down well. Um, you actually said that? Well, yeah, I, I don't think I said Attack of the Clones. I think I said we did give a Star Wars. For, I made some reference to Chris's <laughs> review because I realised that obviously you yeah. need a lot of background. Thought, maybe this guy, maybe this immigration guy <laughs> might know about this famous comedic I thing just... that happened in Empire that Chris that, gave. That's an in-joke that with an us in-joke. and like yeah. 50 readers. It's true. Yeah, it is true. It might have but, spread, but this was the thing. Like so, so afterwards, I did what anyone would do. Instead of making a plane, I just got really passag about it on Twitter and yeah. just moaned about yeah. it. And then what I just thought, well, that's it. You know what I mean? That's it. I yeah. rage on Twitter, and then you know, I kept getting a few mentions, and then I got really abusive mentions. And then, long story short, I got like seventy thousand likes fascists. and like from fascists and yeah. like thirty thousand retweets, and I got a lot of abuse, so I had to turn off my Twitter mentions. Um, and then loads of newspapers and stuff. <laughs> calling me for quotes and it kind of spiraled out of control until the and I can't remember his job title but the I think it's the area director of operations or something for customs and border patrol which is part of Homeland Security uh, called me on my phone to formally apologise for the incident. Where did he get your phone so number from? He, he got he got it because they he his the PR well, person like the publicist for CBP <laughs> contacted the Washington Post and they passed his message on to me and I emailed him and said, how can I help you? And wow. he went, we would like to arrange a call with this important man. Uh, he said, would you be available? And I said to him, I mean, yeah, I've got to be in a, in a panel about Frozen 2, unfortunately, <laughs> at that time. But if you can wait until Frozen's finished, I will absolutely speak to you. So, uh, so I did that. In, in the film of this uh, incident. Who will play in me? The, in the epic, <laughs> yeah. Who's going to play you? Who's going to play the Border <laughs> Patrol guy? The first guy who said you're a part of fake news. Who, yeah. could, could, uh, like, Russell Crowe. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. An angry Crow. Russell Crowe. Oh, okay, we'll get mm, to definitely. him later. Yeah. And um, the when they when they the PR got, did you speak to the publicist? For, yes. Was it was, are publicists for the border control? Are they the same as the kind of publicists we'll deal with for TV and films, or are they like a different kind of publicists? Where they do you sound basically the same as they do? I mean, a little bit. It was like a, you know packing you through. You know, it was a bit. You know, it wasn't dissimilar to doing an interview. It was fine. You know, yeah. he was he was very nice. He was very polite. And honestly, you know, despite the whole thing, like, and I've talked about this a lot on Twitter, so I won't repeat it all here. But like. I I found the whole thing very demoralising that the fact that this fake news narrative is now so widespread that people just speak yeah. it as fact in official capacities, which I have since learned is a violation of the Hatch Act, which forbids federal em employees from having political bias. But um, it is an incredible. I mean, loads of things come to mind, but it, the, the, it does bring home the incredible success of that whole of that phrase mm. fake yes. news as absolutely by Donald Trump and his acolytes, it's which is quite terrifying, isn't it? it mm. I mean, it is extraordinary. And, and I think it happens here a lot. I see a lot. Of, um, but the brilliant thing for me, for me was, um, for you experiencing it, it sounds like a nightmare and I would have been, you know, having a nervous breakdown about it. But I think you dealt with it brilliantly. But the, the dream scenario for me is that it, it, you had all these psychopathic right-wing nuts linking it to that, you know, didn't happen.com yeah. where the fuck yeah, it is and saying you're lying. And I, I think you're congenitally incapable of lying anyway. <laughs> you just have the weird kind of non-lying personality it's going pathologically on. pathologically on It's called it. having no filter. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew you were I knew of course, everything you said had happened, but to actually get confirmation from the head of the immigration people that it had happened, yeah. who are not, they're not like liberal, lefty liberal no. twats, and then just to prove to these fucking morons that it did happen. What beautiful moment of kind of natural justice. I thought that was so good. There was a natural escalation to that because they were like, you know, I'll take shit that didn't happen for a hundred dollars. Yeah, right. And and I went, oh, well, if you look at the Newsweek article, they, they spoke to CBP and they've confirmed it happened. They went, that's fake news. I said, well, the guy literally just called me on my phone and apologised. I don't know what to say. That's a lie. Oh, I don't really know how to help you then. But, Absolutely um, brilliant. Yeah, so this is all going to be really fun when I go back to America next week and we see what happens. I think you're going to get carried through on somebody's yeah. shoulders. Yeah. Same. I, yeah, I think you're going to be ushered through. I, mean, I think you're a VIP It could now. go one of two very different ways. So I guess we'll we'll find out what happens. Uh, I wonder if this podcast that we're just recording will be used in evidence oh against God, me. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll see what happens as a, as a kind of provocateur and member of the resistance, as I as I now am. Oh God, don't get That's carried good. away. I did get I did get like five and a half thousand Twitter followers in 24 hours, which was quite nice. Oh, so, James. Uh, I quite enjoyed that. Hey, look, that's how I measure my self worth, Terry White. <laughs> also, what are you going to do when they stick around? and work out all yeah. you do is talk shite about virus <laughs> I games. mean, genuinely, this is something that worried me. Because I, I stopped tweeting for a couple of days because I thought, I've got these new followers. The second I open my mouth, I'm going to lose all of them because all I do is talk about Star Wars and Thanos. Yeah. You know, and they obviously think I'm some political, you know, infighter. No. Yeah. You did brilliantly link to the Pilot TV podcast. I know. I wonder how that was, more... That uh, was so tacky. Yeah. No, that was great. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got so much shit for that on there as well because people thought I was making it up just for yeah. that because it got down to the bottom of the thing. I went, while you're here, please subscribe to the on a TV podcast. Yeah, I saw one guy like, oh, he just made this up to promote his shit podcast. I was like, don't drag us into this. <laughs> uh, we have shit. a very fine podcast. <laughs> I have besmirched all of your good name by associating you with me. Oh, good times. Well, that slight uh, digression aside, yes. I, I had time to watch a lot of things good. during my time in solitary confinement. <laughs> and um, let me tell you what I watched. So on the way out there, I binged a whole of Mindhunter, right. which I loved lots. Yeah, fantastic. I have picked up years and years again oh, good. and immediately stopped it because I really enjoyed it, but obviously it depressed the hell out of me. And then I had the customs thing. And to come straight from watching years and years and then go through that made it all a bit too real for me. Yeah, so your now, customs thing is very years and years. Yeah, yeah so I've kind of put that on hold a yeah. little bit now. Um, I'm up to 
I've got the fourth episode now of Peaky Blinders. I will say, without any spoilers, the scene at the beginning of the third episode, which involves nuns, oh. is one of the greatest Peaky Blinders oh, moments wow, ever. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, third episode, started. there's just there's like a prologue that involves nuns. I was like, that was mag. Magnificent. That will if episode three. Yeah. That will have gone out yesterday when this comes out on Monday. Then so people. Will have oh, seen excellent. That. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. that thing that you all saw two. yesterday, <laughs> yeah. where where Tommy and Polly go to the convent, like that was mental. And I will say, Helen McCrory's final line in that was just beautiful. Wow. Just yeah. Listen for my footsteps. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and the last thing I was watching is Unforgotten. So while on the plane on the way back, I watched the whole of series two of Unforgotten, and now I am halfway through series three of Unforgotten, and I'd watched series one of this like a year ago and thought it was amazing and I don't know for some reason never watched the other two mm. it is so yeah, brilliant. good absolutely brilliant and yeah, series two in particular ITV's um, cold case yeah. uh, crime drama yeah it's brilliant Just yeah. Nicola Walker and yeah. Sanjeev Baskar they're yeah. both amazing yeah. in it but uh, series two which deals with uh, well I won't say what it deals with but like the subject matter of that is quite full on and the way it resolves is really unexpected as yeah, well yeah. and I just thought this is incredibly high quality television that not a lot of mm. people watch no, it is brilliant. I love it so yeah. you know not whether you have a banshee because it's still on, but everyone yeah. should watch so it. Have you seen series three? I'm watching it at oh, the yeah. moment, halfway oh, through. Oh, series three, yeah. Yeah. the ending of that is extraordinary. Well, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm, uh, they, they're doing more, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's four's been filmed now. Yeah. Genuinely brilliant. Yeah. So I can't, I can't recommend them. But you'd love it, Terry. If well, you I thought seen you it. were talking about Unforgettable, <laughs> the police procedural <laughs> drama with Poppy Montgomery. No, no. <laughs> it's confusing because there's Unforgotten, Unforgotten the movie, Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Oh my god. Yeah. I'd also like to say you should watch Unforgettable. You would hate it, but everybody else should watch Unforgettable. Okay, but you should watch Unforgotten because you genuinely. Genuinely would like it. It's it's quite miserable. People die. I know, love her. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Nicole's she's, brilliant. She's great. She's really really good in that. Um, so that's what I've been watching. What have you guys been watching? Well, so uh, I think I'm only saying this to incur your wrath, but mm-hmm. fuck it. Um, is I watched for the first time ever this week Great British Bake Off, <laughs> which I have Amazing. never. Ever, yes, yes. ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I missed the first season, was like, I can't get into this now. And everybody on, I was living in New York at the time, and everyone on my British Twitter were like being mental about it. And I was just like, this is not for me. This is not for me. I accidentally watched the first episode this week of the new series. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it's yes, so yes, magical. No. Yes. I just there's so much oh, great TV out there. Yes. I cannot get excited no. about someone making a meringue in a tent. No, it's Terry's right. I've watched oh. every single episode of Bake Off you know in it, history. But do you know what it does? I'll tell you what it does for me, especially in this week of all weeks, mm. um, with the country going even more to shit than it previously <laughs> had. Is it? It reminds me of what. Is can be great about this country and mm. when and like the best of British people and maybe in some ways it's kind of this anachronistic kind of throwbacky sort of halcyon days thing about it I don't know but like they're just also normal and lovely and there's always a weird one and there's and all the little types and they're all just like desperate to impress Prue and be the best baker and make a really great Victoria sponge cake and it's just beautiful and magical yeah. and James has died yeah I, I love just, it sorry yeah. I completely I stopped listening while you were talking about sponge cakes yeah I just honestly it started out on BBC2 on like a Monday or something at 8.30 no one paid any attention to it and then it became, it, it, it became the biggest show on British TV no. 13 million people watched it when it was on BBC1 before Channel 4 bought it it was the biggest thing on TV I was asked to be in the first celebrity series oh my god yeah. right but and you said no bearing in mind right I said no bearing in Why? mind that because I was away and then we had, so it was, a week, it was a long weekend you had to be available for three full days and I'd already booked a trip to New York but anyway 
it, back in the, it was so obscure in the first series that they had a, they had a celebrity special after the first series or so, and they asked people like me to take part <laughs> in it. Like now, it's like you know, fucking proper A-list stars do the celebrity version for it because it's become a complete proper phenomenon, and it is brilliant. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't get it. Like Chris Hewitt, who you will have heard doing impressions of, among other things, me last week, uh, is obsessed with all cooking realities. So Chris only watches. Well, that's not true. He watches a few things. But he mainly watches reality TV, anything food based, uh, food based. MasterChef, The Rivals, Great British Bake Off. I can't think of any others, but I'm sure there are others. There are loads. What yeah. are they called? Name another one. Um, a food show. There's one right now about the chef. The he chef's probably watches table, that. Chef's yeah. table. Top wait, chef's table. Whatever. Chef's all table. of this stuff. He loves <laughs> right. it. And he bangs on about Bake Off and whatnot. And oh, I just... It just... Do you know what? It's what everyone's, everyone's talking at the moment about the reason we're all kind of going and binge watching things like Friends and, and all of these things which actually make us feel safe and comfortable mm. in this world, which is... You know, a total bin fire. <laughs> I think that's what Bake Off does. I oh, think there's something yeah. reassuring and comforting. It makes you think of your nana's baking. It makes you think of sunshine. It makes you think of trees. There's like a fucking tent in a field. It's but, like all the amazing things in life. Isn't it just like Paul Hollywood being shitty about the consistency of marzipan? I mean, it, it, he's yeah. a low point for me. He is the, he he's is, a low he point is the, for he me. Is an issue, and the yeah. one, the Mary, but, the Mary Berry person isn't in it anymore, is she? No, it's Prue. Yeah, it's Prue Leith now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's okay. amazing. And Melon, it used to be Melon Sue hosted it. I mean, you know, I slightly prefer them, if I'm honest, to the current duo, but still. Because it's, yeah, because it didn't, it sold out and moved and that was a whole thing. Yeah, Channel 4. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Channel 4, but if you huge amount. See, I know the yeah. background. Yeah, 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 I know do, the yeah. mythology. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, which you're more aware of it than most things, most elements of popular culture. Yeah. But it's still, you're absolutely right, it's still a blissfully lovely yeah. little little I needed it this vacation week. away from yeah. the misery of proroguing. I needed it this week. Yeah. I just, honestly, there's only so invested I can get in gattos. I'm just, all I'm saying. That's they don't I'm make saying. gattos. I'm sure they well, do. Sometimes they do. I'm sure they do. Out of, like windmills out of gattos. They're fucking incredible. And... The, the creations are incredible. Yeah, yeah the showstoppers. I mean, come on. It's also, it strikes me as strange, Terry, that you enjoy this. Like, I would have thought you'd prefer it more if it was like three different people each heating a pot <laughs> noodle to a certain <laughs> consistency and you were like, no, the temperature on that one is two degrees suboptimal. I think you're fine. You didn't add the soy sauce at the correct Time. I'm not you, <laughs> but my my tastes are diametrically opposed. I either like pure and innocent and Downton and mm. Great British Bake Off and things that make me feel safe and comfortable and warm, or I just want to yeah, watch Scum and Cares over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, after that, now now is the time where we would usually. Hang on, what's Boyd been watching? Yeah, thanks, mate. Oh, was that not part yeah. of it? Oh, I mean, sorry. I also watched sorry. Bake Off. By sorry. The way. Was, that, oh, yeah. was that not part of it? Do you two not just share a point these days? I get a point for myself. You two just get to He's share back. one. He's back. Boyd, yes. what have you been well, watching? Well, James, you'll, you'll approve of mine because it is a fictional created drama on Netflix. Elite is back, which is one of my favourite um, perverse teen dramas. It's like, it's Spanish. Mm. So it's like Spain's equivalent of um, 13 Reasons Why and Euphoria meets Big Little Lies and Skin. Um, the first series was um, really kind of funny and it's beautifully made and it's kind of got big class conflicts. It's all, all about this incredibly posh public school um, in this village near, I think, Barcelona. And um, in the first series, some working class people ended up there because their school school had been destroyed in some kind of natural disaster. So it's all about what happens when working class kids arrive in this super posh school and they all start having sex with each other and killing each other, literally. Yep. Season two, now one of the characters has got disappeared and that's the kind of ongoing mystery which they flash forward to meanwhile all the all the new kids are also arriving and having sex with each other and killing each other it is unbelievably fast moving and pacey and exciting it is 
brilliantly made and it has some unbelievably extraordinary sex scenes and scenes of um, uh, and I don't know and violence and <laughs> it's really like on point for now. there's like an Instagram storyline that's quite clever in episode two and it's just if you want a kind of really good quite escapist load of old nonsense about teenagers being out of control send Spain this is the one for you I do like a load of old nonsense yeah okay elite good, good, good. elite well, all I was saying before your elite interlude <laughs> yeah. uh, is that now normally, normally the time where you yeah. kind of pit my black withered soul against <laughs> the best that comedy has to offer. Um, only, and this is you, Boyd, a challenge was issued was a couple it? of weeks ago. That's right, that's right. You suggested that maybe, just maybe, Funny or Dire was less funny and more <laughs> dire. Um, so oh. I did, of course, what oh, any yeah, benevolent and in no way narcissistic podcast host would do. I put the matter... To a referendum <laughs> was the worst thing that happened. Uh, anyway, anyway, so the res- re- results of our of our particular people's vote uh, are in. And uh, would you like to know how it went? I've I've been on Twitter and seen, but sure. Why don't Fine. Well, that's taken some of the drama out of this. But uh, <laughs> we asked the question as to whether or not we should keep funny or drier, and seventy three percent of respondents said keep it, uh, which I'm triumph. taking as a moral victory. <sighs> However. However, that's 27% of people who clearly find it incredibly tiresome. And that's actually quite a lot. So, in, in, you know, in, in contrast to, you know, maths, uh, I think at the very least we are going to put this segment on an extended hiatus and maybe tweak it slightly so it's less all about me if we bring it back. Um, <laughs> I you know, did yeah. see a few comments saying in a very kind of measured way we we like it James but maybe um, there could be something that Terry and Boyd could chip yeah, there were into a few. Again. Again, your fan base your solid fan base <laughs> the diorites yeah, the, yeah. the, the die hards as someone uh, said on Twitter just, I think we just call them the dire yeah yeah, yes or the base yeah, really yes, they yes. like refer, referring to Donald Trump's base you've Indeed. got the base out in that vote uh, yeah, yeah I called on the base uh, well the base liked it everyone oh. else didn't like it so so yeah no I know I get it look I, hang on this is your UK came up with this segment board and I will continue oh, God, to come back to this it's had nothing to do with me uh, but it's gone it's done uh, we will think of something similarly at some point are you just killing it to, to get attention on Twitter of course so well, that, you haven't had enough this, attention on Twitter. So that when this then goes out and all of your base come out and yeah. go, no, James, Bring it back. It. No, I want, I, want, uh, I want when we do our live podcast on the 13th of September, see what uh, I did there, slip in a plug for well that. Uh, I want people to be shouting, funny or dire, funny or dire, and sort of like see if I can rally them to, to, to resurrect him. Oh my God, it's, it's become a rally yeah, for you. Yeah, I yeah. 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 yeah, that's it. Blimey. Anyway, anyway, so that's not happening. So all I can say, sorry, Father Ted, you uh, you never got your chance. But I think we can all agree I probably would have found you unamusing. Anyway, I, I would say it. instead of that, we should go on to news. Except we can't, as you've both ruined news. Because you did the podcast this week on Tuesday morning, which means basically nothing has happened well, not between true. then and now. Oh, you, this is classic, James, isn't it? He's decided there's no news. Yes. Because yes. you couldn't find anyone, any, or you forgot. To have I a mean, look. no, I did. I looked yesterday and couldn't see anything interesting. I'm going to give you this bit of news Go that on I'm on genuinely, Go absolutely on thrilled and excited about, which is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to host an episode of Saturday Night Live coming up. And not only that... 
but she's going to have um, uh, Taylor Swift as the musical guest. So basically, on October the 5th, you're going to get a sketch or sketches featuring Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Taylor Swift on Saturday Night Live. That's good. That will happen. I don't like that's Saturday exciting. Night Live, but that does sound exciting. Saturday Night Live, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. You, what, you're pretending you don't know about that now? No, I know about it. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, why don't you like it? I do not enjoy sketch shows. I do not Fuck enjoy sake. variety shows. I do not enjoy entertainment shows. <laughs> I do not enjoy anything that normally has someone addressing an audience. So you watched that whole was that series that your hero did about which was basically about creating yes, a show like yes. Satellite Live. That's fine because it's a dramatized version of it. Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. A dramatized version of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Are we got to this point now where our argument is just repeating yes. what I've said yes. in a slightly posh yes. voice? In your accent. Great. Um, yeah, no, it's Saturday Night Live. I mean, it, you know, it can be highly variable. No, I'm not saying it's bad. But I just don't w- enjoy it. Yeah, okay, fair enough. It's fine. Right. It's just fine. You know, I don't find it. It's like sketch shows where I just can't get involved yeah, in something don't. that lasts that's so short. I just can't, I can't, can't be dealing with it. <laughs> so, yeah, well, okay, fine. Well, I have a piece of news, and it's not news, so it shouldn't be in news, but I'm going to treat it as news, and that is because this <laughs> that news... That alone is incredible. This news broke about two weeks ago, and I didn't do it on the podcast for reasons unknown. I completely missed it, and I, several people said to me on Twitter, I cannot believe you didn't talk about the fact that Amazon announced loads of the casting for the Wheel of Time TV series. Oh, Christ. <laughs> and I missed it. I mean, you know... Who doesn't want to know that Joshua Stradowski will play Randall Thor, a.k.a. the Dragon Reborn, he who comes with the dawn, the Coromor, Shadow Killer? You know, to to list some of his titles. What do any of those words even mean? Those character names, a bit disappointing, though. They're not like the Dune ones. (laughs) Tell us us some Dune character names. No, they're fine. So so Marcus Rutherford is in this as Perrin A. Burrow, the the blacksmith. Uh, Barney Harris as Matrim Cawthon. Zoe Robbins plays Nynaeve Almira, who's always (laughs) playing with her hair. And uh, and Madeline Madden is playing Egwene Alvear oh. but more importantly Rosamund Pike Ooh. is in one of the major roles as uh, uh, Moiraine Damadred of the Eyes Sedai <laughs> so uh, you've brought him back <laughs> you have won of course being a uh, member of the Eyes Sedai I mean that she has the power to tap into Sidar the uh, female <laughs> half of the true source I think our live podcast on the 13th of <laughs> September at 9.30 King's Place blah 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 should just be you reading out character names from these stupid programs well, like June and this one this and... was for you specifically Boyd because I remember <laughs> you saying I, you said last week when I wasn't here yeah. you would love to hear me reading out the character Absolutely. names yeah, from, from which it. one was it was it from, from Carnival knows. Row or Doc Crystal I forget Carnival Row anyway yeah, both, of both. So there you go. That's me. Can I just say you are going to the United States next week, and if immigration would like permission to re- <laughs> to actually detain James Dyer this time, uh, then you have my express permission thanks. to make that happen. Thanks, Terry. That's that's nice. Um, any other news? Terry, you must have some news. Uh, it's not that exciting. <laughs> oh. But I agree with you. It's been an arid, arid um, week for news. An arid day and a half an since you did the last one. arid week for news. There was this um, video released about filmmaker mode. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about this service, on Empire as well. Mm. Um, which is a new industry standard TV setting which essentially aims to show and display the movies um, how they were intended to be seen. So there's this video released this week which starred Martin Scorsese, Nolan... Christopher Nolan, that is, James Cameron, Ava DuVernay, Ang Lee, J.J. Abrams, Ryan Coogler, Christopher McQuarrie. Um, and it's in terms of what it actually does, and it doesn't surprise anybody, I don't think, that 
Nolan's really spearheading. Mm-hmm. Nolan, this. who won't even shoot on digital, yes. <laughs> I'm surprised he even acknowledged television yeah. exists. Television. But... What is yeah. this fairy <laughs> powered magic box? But essentially, it will disable motion smoothing and preserve the aspect ratio, colour balance, and the frame rate of a movie. Yeah. Um, and they said it will be successful on TV for multiple manufacturers. It doesn't really say when or which or can you upgrade mm. what you've got at home already. Um, but I thought it was interesting that he got so many filmmakers on board mm. and so many diverse filmmakers from different kind of perspectives because I think nobody's surprised. Cameron and um, uh, Nolan have spoken extensively really about this in the past. Macquarie has him and Tom Cruise had a similar thing last year, right, where they were talking about mm. um, yeah, settings. Specifically yeah, specifically motion smoothing. Yeah. Motion smoothing. Mm. So it, but actually to see people like Ava and Ryan Coogler and, and it kind of being more of an industry-wide thing... Mm. Um, how percept how perceptive not perceptive what's the word noticeable noticeable <laughs> perceivable perceptible perceivable perceptible to the average viewer it will be i don't know what do you think uh, well, the difference between motion, motion smoothing and non-motion smoothing is pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, I, but then some people say they can't tell the difference between HD and SD. So I think I guess your mileage may vary. It depends on how big your screen is. Your on boys' TV, you your, absolutely hang on, hang on, will notice. Your mileage may vary. Have you never heard this phrase before? Your, mi- your, your mileage. Your mileage may vary. This is a fairly common. Yeah. I'm not a car. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So <laughs> clearly that idiom was lost on Terry. But yes, I think uh, I do think people will probably notice. So so I bored everyone's tits off about frame rates about this on the Empire podcast on. on Friday. So I'm not going to go into Why the, not? well, it's 24 frames a second for a motion picture. And it's because that's all quite tedious. The, but, the, um, the thing for me, though, uh, someone pointed out on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, that it's slightly pointless because it, what they're not doing, as far as I can make out about the whole announcement, is they're not, they're not that's not going to be the default setting. No. no you need to turn no. it on. <laughs> if it was, then hooray, yeah. 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 So, so consumer TV watch is still going to have to find the bit in their system where they can change the settings. Yes. So and, and who people, does that? And who, right, I no mean, one I does do, that. But but I do, you're a yeah. bell Nerd, Nerdy bell ends. Yeah. <laughs> normal, that's the whole point. Normal, normal consumers do don't. not do that. Boyd, if you have motion smoothing turned on on your enormous 70-inch TV, you should be fine. Of course I don't. But I, because I know where the fucking... Because yeah. I've already got a cinema but, mode on my Samsung yes. 78-inch, which does exactly what thing is yeah. Christopher Nolan's talking about. But... It, it should be the default setting. That's what's going to change. The, the issue is, like, motion smoothing as an existing thing is not the problem. The problem is most TVs have it on by default. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. People don't know how to disable exactly. it. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm not sure how this, this helps that particular fact. But maybe as part of this, motion smoothing will never be on by default. It will be a thing of the past. Why is it on? Because uh, I think TV because, people... I'll tell you why. Isn't because, it because it's a sport? Don't like it for it's sport? It's sport, but je- normal TV... So, in fact, actually, of course, this is now becoming slightly obsolete because, you know, yeah. stuff shot on by Netflix and HBO, you know, general drama now is shot in such a cinematic yeah. way that actually that stuff looks like f- cinematic and looks like film too anyway. But, you know, your kind of... Your studio shows and, your, and, and sport looks much more vibrant and vivid. The colours are incredibly vibrant, vi- vibrant and vivid with, with the normal setting that's what the setting is of a tv it's all about you know general normal viewing of tv in mm. quotes so and and motion smoothing helps with with football i guess and it does help with it just makes it all seem shinier and glossier and it's and people that i think the general sense is that people like their tv normal tv to look like that but i think and i think over time it will fundamentally it'll the refresh rate of a tv screen is is higher than the 24 frames you get on cinema so mm. stuff shot in 24 frames a second like movie stuff when the camera pans, it judders. Yeah. And we associate that with being cinematic. And so when that isn't there, like when it's smoothing, because motion smoothing basically in- 
it creates artificial frames to pad out the gaps and it makes it look weird and unnatural. And you get a smearing effect on someone as well. Like someone's like been spreading stuff all over the screen. It's horrible. So anyway, uh, that's Filmmaker Mode. All I mode. heard was Good. football and the patriarchy, so, you know. <laughs> of course you did. Of course, that's all you ever hear, Terry. <laughs> right, on that note, it is time for this week's guests. Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne stopped by for a chat about fairies and their show, Carnival Row. Uh, and our Jason Arnop went and spoke to them about it. And this is what happened. Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom, welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, hey. thank you for having us. Nice. So um, your new series, Carnival Row, which mm-hmm. is available to watch as we speak on uh, Prime Video, is this lovely, wonderfully bewitching brew of stuff, isn't it? Different mm. elements, you know, there's a love bewitching story. Bewitching brew, I like it, yes. Bewitching brew. Well said. You've got a love story between your two characters burning away at the centre of it. You've got a, an inspector hunting down a hammer-wielding killer. Mm. And then on top of all of that, you've got these very strong real-world parallels with mm-hmm. uh, mythical creatures seeking refuge in this kind of neo-Victorian version of London. So if all of those elements, and potentially more, obviously, what are your, which were your favourites, in a sense? What, what, were the, what did you feel most strongly about, and which of those elements drew you most to Carnival Row? Can I just say that was so beautifully concise, I, I wish I could have given it. You I wish I could that. have had this interview just remember it and repeat it. The parallels. <laughs> um, that was amazing. Um, I think, you know, I think initially I read it for the first time and I thought I I haven't seen a world like this and I've done a little bit of fantasy and this is definitely new and different. And I thought um, I loved the parallels and I loved the idea of the social commentary, the, you know, the fact that it was written 20 years ago and there's a, you know, a reference to, you know, the world that we live in today, the migrant refugee crisis. It's That's, you know, as an actor, when art, art mirrors life a little, it's fantastic. And then... The character of Philo was somebody who I thought I could really get my teeth stuck into, and if I was going to do an eight-hour movie, which is basically what this is, Mm. um, and felt like when we were making it, and with the potential of maybe doing another eight-hour movie, which we are doing for the second season, which is great, great. Mm. I wanted to be sure that there'd be a character that I could really kind of get under the skin of, and Philo was sort of definitely that. Felt like an interesting man that I could could go on a journey with, for sure. Absolutely. What about you, Carl? Um... I just think how how vast the world is, considering like reading something like that when it hasn't come from anywhere else but from a man who wrote it 20 years ago in his dorm room yeah. is one of the most insane things in the world. And whether or not I did the project or not, I wanted to meet him to just say, wow, well done. Can I live in your head for two days? <laughs> like, seriously, it was brilliant. And then, I, I mean, I was just completely enamored and fascinated by Vignette as a character um, and just couldn't really... You know, and I've dealt with rejection a lot on not getting parts I've completely adored, but I just was fascinated by her. And even if I hadn't have got the role, I would have still thought about her to this day. Mm. You know, there's something I just, it's the, that like sparked something in me. Mm. Um, and then again, yeah, the, the, the commentary on, especially I think the way of unnecessary fear and how people can't really hate each other if they really understood each other and mm. if they really took time to learn from each other instead of just learning and trying to take land, have power, 
and control and mm. it's all about you know and then also using fear to control people and how then people have to fear each other when there's no reason to nothing like the world we live in today nothing no. <laughs> no. No, I know it's unfortunate people in power using fear yeah. to control people yeah it's weird yeah. it's so strange <laughs> it's unfortunate that you know that commentary feels like a mirror as opposed to an exaggeration mm. isn't it yeah mm. literal mirror yeah so uh, the characters really drew you in as uh, that mm. was one of the things that you like so let's talk a little bit more about the characters um, let's talk about Vignette Stone Moss which mm. is one of the best names ever for a start ever. Mm. How cool is that name? Great names in this show. But that's mm. also, Travis, like, he came up with such good names. Mm. Like, you know, people try and find baby names for so long and, like, weird. <laughs> he's thought of these incredible... I mean, I will always, like, one of those very exaggerated, love and exaggerated name, but these names are... Yeah. Beautiful. There may be a few more vignettes in the world after no, this series maybe. goes out. Oh. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, so she's kind of, vignette is kind of hardened by hurt, isn't she, really? Mm-hmm. You know, what else would you say about her? She's hardened by hurt for sure. I mean, she's definitely had to learn how to, I'd say as a, like, if she's learned how to hiss, you know, if people try and bite her, I think she starts to hiss, which mm. is something that I don't think she ever had to do. Mm. But she had to learn to protect herself and learn how to survive. And I think you can't help but get hardened by that. But her outer skin got hardened, but her heart didn't, you know, yeah. her heart never changed. I mean, look, she was grieving someone for seven years still mm. very much to the day. So like her heart definitely never changed, which is something I really respect about her. She, because I think some ways, if her heart had hardened, she might as well not be alive because mm. I think her heart is the thing that kept her going, you know? Yes, and obviously this terrible man we're talking about is your character, Inspector Philo. Mm. What would you say about him? He's a hard he's man to so get bad. to know. He's not <laughs> yeah. so bad. He's so bad. Yeah. Oh, everything is so nuanced. Um, you know, <laughs> Philo was born an orphan, raised in an orphanage, did military service, and then ended up being a detective in the Burgish police force. Mm. And I just, you know, when you think about what that, does to her psyche and being institutionalized from birth and the lack of love, the lack of um, the fear around intimacy, the fear that would come from from all of those um, experiences, the um, the risks and, and and edges that he would take, you know, the, the danger that he would put himself in for. And I, you know, so I, I, I kind of, I loved, I loved getting under that skin and then thinking about he has this secret which is revealed as the show goes along and mm. and to me I felt like that was probably his superpower and if there is if it, and 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 that would be empathy you know as a man who can sort of empathize with the plight of the fae and I thought that was something that I really started to gun for as mm. as a as a as a as a theme for him throughout the show and 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 somebody who you know Weirdly, in the world today, if he if if there is a is that if there is something sort of heroic about Philo, it's that he's just trying to do the right thing, mm. you know. And actually, mm-hmm. I thought, wow, in the world we live in today, just doing the right thing makes you a hero. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because actually, I think there are so many people, and we're so easily led astray. It's so easy to not, you know, or to avoid. And Philo's like, he's on the front line doing the right thing as much and as often as he can. Yeah. There's sometimes an earnestness to that. There's sometimes but not really. I think it's more just of a, he has a need to um, fulfill and that's and to make others. good on, yeah, mm. to make good on a promise to himself. So Yeah, so speaking of doing the right thing, if um, you know, several of the characters in the show have wings, if either of you had wings, to what extent would you use that power only for good? I would 
rescue people from places that they couldn't be rescued from. Oh, like with wings. kittens from trees and stuff. Oh, no, no, wow. people. <laughs> Anyone can get down kittens from trees. Also, kittens <laughs> can jump down from trees. Yeah. Kittens jump in trees so they can go, screw oh, you humans, so they can't get me out. Huh? That's what so I think, because cats are clever. I would rescue kittens from trees. Oh, right. So between you, you've got creatures. We've got the kittens <laughs> and humans <laughs> covered. <laughs> Listen, what more do you want? Absolutely fantastic. Well, that's great to hear the altruism there. I mean, if you have wings, though, can you also have, like, super amp powers where you can lift ten times your weight? Because then I would just pick Ooh. up the whole ocean and put it on the Amazon. Amp range. powers. Maybe wow, we'll find out in season two, powers. listeners. Season two. <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. <laughs> that was Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom. Time now for this week's reviews. Uh, first up this week is The Capture. This is a new BBC drama which stars Holiday Granger, Callum Turner, Laura Haddock, and apparently Ron Perlman, although he wasn't in the first episode. Uh, Turner plays a British soldier accused of a crime on the basis of CCTV footage, with Granger as the high-flying police inspector charged with heading up the case. The crime was caught on video, so it's a slam dunk. Or is it? <laughs> Boy, did this uh, capture your attention? I like your little dramatic little uh, <laughs> intro there. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, um, I really like it. Yeah, I sh- um, I should say that I hosted the uh, screening for this, the the launch of it, and interviewed um, said stars. So what you're saying is you are now completely biased. Well, I think you have to. <laughs> How much did they possible. pay you, boy? Yeah, boy? They paid me. Yes. Yeah, so How I've much did they pay news. you, boy? I've been fake news. news. Fake news. Fake news. Get out. Fake news, boy. I'm being I'm being uh, transparent. I've been paid good money to. <laughs> Sit there, <laughs> to sit God. here and, and promote this for the show. Good money. He's been paid good money. I've been paid good money to sit there asking the creators good questions about this show. And now I'm giving my unbiased objective. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. I really Go like it. On. Yeah, I think it's. I you think shocked it's, me. I wish I had some pound coins to throw at you. <laughs> I'm really glad you don't. Um, I think it's a really interesting premise. I think it's taking something that's happening is going to be more and more an important element of technology going forward, which is that you really can create video footage of people saying stuff they did not say in situations they were not in, and you can can completely fictionalise, you can completely invent your own news, effectively. Like fake news. Like fake news, (laughs) but visual Actual visual failures, which I think is even even more of a kind of a worry than just, you know, people lying about... James. James. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Two fascists on Twitter. Yeah. So it uses that in a really interesting way. And I think, um, I think it's got a kind of propulsive storytelling technique. I think it's fast moving. I think the I think the cast is great. I love Holiday Granger. Um, I thought she was great in Strike, the Cormoran Strike adaptations. And here she's centre stage. There's a really, she, it's, it's very, there's some good entanglement going on because she's involved with someone who's, who's tangentially involved and maybe more in the investigation and the guy as a central investigation is involved with other people so it's a very well kind of put together plot I think and I'm most of all it's just really compelling and gripping and I really want to know what happens next uh Despite the fact that you were clearly paid for that bit of fake news, uh, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I really enjoyed this. I've only seen the first one. I cannot wait to watch the second one. I like this whole sort of 1984, as in you know the book, not the era. Yeah. Uh, feel about this, this sort of, and I like the cold open. There's a cold open when you see the kind of uh, these sort of public servants in their little room monitoring the CCTV footage, and you see her kind of look of horror as whatever is transpiring transpires mm, yes. on the screen, and and it's an interesting idea about what happened when CCTV culture and surveillance culture of which we are a part overlaps with the deep fake 
culture, which is the idea that you literally can create video, convincing video of anyone doing anything. Yeah, so that's what I was. Those to say. two things coexisting is an incredibly troubling time yeah. for us at the moment, and you can well imagine. In the next presidential election, you know, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see footage of one of the nominees going and doing something horrific, and it turns out that someone's just knocked it up using the deepfake algorithm. Well, there was that um, uh, press conference footage. Do you remember where a reporter? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, an intern yeah. was sent over to t- try and grab the mic off him mm. when he was questioning Trump, and it was edited and put out by actually by um, uh, his official PR person, <laughs> and it had been edited to show that he was kind of touching her yeah. in some way when she went to grab the microphone. Yeah. And it was astonishing that that, had been, yeah. that that had been edited in such a way to misrepresent what happened and by the White House. Yeah, and they put it out officially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who's fake news and now? And Holiday Granger in um, Pilot TV magazine, last issue, mentioned that incident yeah. and that yeah. moment as the um, thing that really crystallised in her mind the possibilities of this whole, whole concept. That yeah. was Jim Acosta, wasn't it? Yes, it was Jim yeah. Costa, yeah. yeah. And, and he uh, had his credentials. He did, had yeah, his credentials. Yeah. And they yeah. had doctored this footage yeah. to show him doing something that he hadn't done. And that's a relatively minor thing. Have you seen the thing? I think it's, is it Bill Hader on, it was one of the talk shows, Conan Letterman, one of those. Uh, and, yes. and they turn him into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah. And Tom Cruise. Yeah. And Tom Cruise using deep fake technology. And it's yep. terrifying. Mm. And this is just done by what's available on the internet. So you can imagine what, you know, serious outfits, you know, dedicated to doing this could accomplish. I, the thing is, I, from a philosophical perspective, I find this really interesting. But from a straight TV drama perspective, and I must say I really enjoyed this as well. Like I finished the first episode and I was gutted. I didn't have time to watch the second mm-hmm. before this podcast. I was like, really need to write a review, but I really, really want to watch the second episode of this program. Is because you know, there's no doubt from the first episode that he's not done what he's been accused of and that this has been... I don't ah, think so when you get to the end. I think there might be. I think there's, there's there room could for be a more twist. To it. Well, um, yeah. there may be a twist, but uh, well, the, the setup very much is, yes. as the mm, audience, yeah, you're meant yeah. to believe that this was yeah. in some uh, some way faked and it's... So and maybe Boyd is hinting at the fact that that's <laughs> oh, no, I don't leading. know. I don't know oh, at all. I because, genuinely don't know. But I because think, that, made me, cause that yeah. kind of ruined it for me in some respects in that I would... I kind of enjoyed it when you weren't sure if it was him or it wasn't him and um, we don't want to give away what's in the CCTV footage because that's a really important part of the episode unfolding but it kind of it puts you on a very specific road in terms of it's not kind of up for debate whether he did do that you're pretty convinced as as the audience that he didn't do that and Mm. this is as you say about these conspiring forces who've gone out of their way to make it look like he had I have to say Holiday Granger is amazing and a lot I mean she's dealing with I have to say a lot of tropes in there right so she's Mm. they like they call her a fast track princess (laughs) at one point she's having an affair with her married ex-boss she's like clearly somebody who prizes her career over everything else including her personal life she's desperately ambitious young and attractive and there's all these kind of things and at first I was a little bit but she's I have to say she's super compelling Mm -hmm. she's really fantastic Um, I thought they were all fantastic I thought Callum Turner actually um, the interrogation scene when he is accused his response I thought was incredible yeah Yeah. and I think they both are incredible and really both carry this along Mm. and I agree with you the propulsive nature of it it was it wasn't kind of frenetic or anything but you were just kind of compelled Mm. from the first minute the rhythm of it was fantastic and it's all written and directed by this one guy Ben Channel which is quite unusual Mm. I think in in, in British TV and this this is is this a mini series yeah it's a a six part self-contained I mean I think you know 
I, I get the sense that I think it, you know they will definitely be resolved. They were very yeah. firm. I haven't watched the whole. But thing. they might come back with another. But you can imagine yeah. how she could come back. Indeed. You know, and I, but all I'd say about your point about the he definitely hasn't. You know what we think about his yes. character. That what I think there's room for, and I'm saying I've no, I've not seen it, but I think there's room for the idea that he is a wrong one and maybe in other ways and that he might yes. do you know what I mean so yeah. I think it's still there's still a lot of tension regarding what he what he's actually really all about because yes. I think that is what's going to be because obviously it begins with him on trial for something else yeah. which yes. is again connected to manipulation yeah. of footage so yeah. it's, uh, which, that, which is presumably not a coincidence yeah, exactly yeah. 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 by the way that that fact that it, they, the way he gets off of that which yeah. right at the beginning yeah. is that is oh absolutely, I know I know because we, we've experienced it in, in the stuff <laughs> equipment we use you get drift when yeah. the audio you goes out of sync from the video audio drift yeah audio drift Right, well, that is The Capture, and this airs on BBC One on Tuesday, September the 3rd at 9pm. Next up is A Confession, uh, an ITV drama that stars Martin Freeman as real-life copper DSU Steve Fulcher, who adopted some, uh, shall we say, unorthodox policing tactics back in 2011 when he arrested the chief suspect in a woman's disappearance in an Asda car park and had him taken to an Iron Age fort outside Swindon for interrogation, as you do. Um, Terry, this is reasonably bleak and quite nihilistic. You must have loved it. <laughs> Not so much, I have to say. Um, so I had one big problem uh, from the get-go, which was the incredibly distracting camera work. I don't know if you two noticed this, but there were these kind of... It was it was really wobbly and jerky, and there was some really weird super zooming going on, which yeah, I just zooming, couldn't... Yeah. Yeah. But really crazy zooming, and I couldn't get my head around it because I couldn't work out what they were going for. It didn't look like normal Steadicam stuff at all. It was a very deliberate... It, I would presume it was a really deliberate choice on mm. their part, whether it's meant to make it feel raw, and I, I don't know, but it it totally threw me off. There's a scene at the beginning with Martin Freeman and with John Thompson in a cafe and it was like so disorientating. Um, Martin Freeman, who I think is a fantastic actor, I just, he doesn't work for me in this role at all. So I found his kind of performance quite awkward and uncomfortable. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't buy any of it whatsoever, I have to say. There, I mean, there was, there are a couple of kind of quite heavy-handed things. So there's a, a you you meet this middle-aged loner who's a suspect who lives with his mum. He tells a story about driving to buy some Monster Munch. From then on, in he's known as Monster Munch Man. He's your kind of like classic crime drama. Uh, overweight loner kind of when he there was a bit with his mum where I was just like I've seen this a million times yeah. before in every single one of these dramas I love crime dramas mm. I love Martin Freeman I love Sh- um, Siobhan Finneran's in it mm. who has plays um, the girl who goes missing to plays her mum who I just think is fantastic it just didn't work for me all of this said I got to the end of the first episode and I kind of really wanted to see the second episode. <laughs> there is, a, there is, and it's, it isn't probably surprising to say there is a twist in the last third, which actually is probably the reason I want to keep watching it. Something about it makes me want to keep watching it, but I don't think it's anywhere near the quality 
of, for example, the capture. I don't think it's it's at that level. It doesn't feel no. cinematic. It doesn't feel like it has proper scale and scope. Um, and You're so very ITV. It, it, and I hate to say that, and I really hate to say that. And I thought Boyd's going to launch himself <laughs> at me across the, across the desk because Boyd rightly defends the, the kind of traditional TV channels that have been putting out solid stuff for years and have great moments as well. But this didn't feel like the best of ITV to me, no. and it didn't feel like it would be something that would ever air on the BBC, for example. And we're seeing so much amazing stuff in this genre as well. Crime dramas like this used to be kind of the fodder for, you know, that was Sunday nights, a certain audience, didn't have much money put into it. We're not in that world anymore. And so I feel like because of that shift, this feels to me old-fashioned and just not of the level we're used to seeing. Boyd, have ITV paid you any money to spring uh, to the not. show's defence? No, I did not host the launch of this show. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting because this is true crime. So yes. we should say it's, mm. this yeah, is yeah, a very, yeah. quite a famous... Yeah. James said that already. Yeah, it's a dramatisation no, no, no. of true crime. I know, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, just, I, I'm just reminding people that this is a, this is a, a, a pretty famous yeah. example of true crime. Um, and but that doesn't no, like, no, 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 excuse no, no. any I'm of the... No, no, I'm not excusing it. <laughs> Let me finish. All I'm saying, <laughs> I think, I wonder, because I, I agree with you uh, to a large extent, I, I was in, surprised that the um, visual texture of it mm. felt very traditional and old-fashioned, um, barring uh, the weird Zoom things I noticed as well. And I wondered by, partly whether that was trying to make it feel more documentary-like yeah. maybe or something. It reminded yeah. me, do you know what it reminded me yeah. of? The Office, right. weirdly. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so, so yeah. docudrama, so yeah. kind of parodies, it yeah. reminded me of The Office yeah. massively. But as Ricky Gervais says about The Office, they would do it differently now because actually documentary making has gone on leaps and bounds. It is, is itself much more cinematic and kind of different to how it was back in the mm. day. So this does feel weirdly basic in that sense, I absolutely agree. And I wonder whether, but why I mentioned the true crime thing, I wonder whether they almost feel hampered slightly because this is such a famous case um, and that there's still a lot of people alive still, you know, and the, the main guy, the detective, yeah. is, is this, you know, he talk, is talking about it now and, you know, this had a huge impact on his career. And I, and I feel the same about Martin Freeman's performance. Mm. I didn't, I, di- I actually liked his performance, but I felt everyone was slightly underplaying and trying to be quite tasteful and you know and real and keeping it real and not making it too kind of epic and cinematic because it's this real thing that everyone knows about a lot, a lot of people know about a lot of people are still affected by it. and I'm not saying it was the right creative decision because I don't necessarily think it is um, so I feel it was hampered by that yeah mm. and I thought it was like the whole thing was being made slightly with their t- hands tied behind their back but I, I really like Martin I totally disagree about his performance though I thought he was very authentic and I felt like what was refreshing about his performance was I felt like he was just this normal guy who happens to be a, a, a detective and he reminded me of like that, if you Watch 24 Hours in Police Custody, those mm, things yes, on Channel 4. He was like that, really. Like, not particularly interesting, well, unusual, thought, or. Don't just you think he was trying of... to be. I felt like he was trying. Des- they were all trying desperately to be normal, to your yeah. point. The underplaying it, the yeah. I'm an, being a normal guy. Yeah. This is how a normal guy would talk. There was a meeting they go into, and there's like little bits you don't hear. And yes. it's very, it felt very much like documentary, like you were just yeah. witnessing something that was happening in real life. I was so conscious that he was acting all the way through because. Uh, okay. Because they. 
just that the, the every time he underplayed it a little bit more, and it was like I'm the, I'm just this normal detective mm. guy. I'm kind of you know you don't realise much about his personality. He doesn't yeah. have any strong character traits. The more I was really conscious that it was Martin uh, Freeman. Uh, I, I, yeah, that no, I kind of went along with it uh, pretty much. I went along with all the performances. I thought every, they're all kind of you know Imelda Stoughton's in it. Mm-hmm. The dude from this country's in it. You know, um, it, Pete Shot from Cold Feet as a wrong Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So very briefly. Yeah, so I, I thought the performances were the, were the best thing about it for me. And I agree with you. Even though I was sitting there going, oh, this is a, you know, uh, fully, uh, you know, it's not quite doing it for me in terms of the way it's being made and everything. By the end of it, I really want to carry on watching it. I'm going to I'm absolutely going to carry on watching it, even though I know the whole fucking story because yeah. it's all, you know, it is a famous true crime story. But actually, the detail of it, I am fascinated by it. And, that, and I, think, I think that's what it's all about for the people who made it. Mm. For Jeff Pope, who's like the expert at writing yes. these things, who wrote this, um, I think it's all about getting the detail right. And that, and that I think it does it pretty well but yeah no I agree with you I, it, it didn't feel particularly uh, lavish to me it felt I, I must admit the zooming thing didn't <laughs> didn't bother me quite as much I didn't really worry too much about that but I wasn't wildly compelled by this by, by the way it's set up I, it, un, until as you said the last section when there is that an allusion to a twist mm. but uh, I was just like this is fine but again you end up in this, this same mindset where this is absolutely fine and were there no other TV I would absolutely watch this however this is like your idea of hell let's be frank no no it's fine like, I, I know you see, see this is something I have a real weakness for your old Brit police drama like I really like, like I, I used to and at some You're point old. I will banshee DCI Banks which I was obsessed with oh, wow. you know and I love wow. Unforgotten like there's something about like Brit police drama that can be really really good but perhaps it is as boy says the true crime nature of this it affects the rhythm and the structure of the story because they can't you know, take optimum dramatic routes. They have to report the facts. What I was going to so, sorry, what I was going to say was, uh, funnily enough, I have just watched quite a lot of this new thing coming up on Netflix, which I'm sure we'll review in a couple of weeks' time, um, which is called Unbelievable, which is an even more sensitive true crime story, mm. which is very, very famous in America. Mm. And I have to say that is a kind of in its way is cinematic and, and, and brilliantly made. And also, and I felt, and I did keep thinking of that, thinking actually it can be done. You can do all of yes. these things properly. And, and this didn't quite have what that has when we get around to it. Yeah, because I think yeah. I think true crime has been adapt, adapted and dramatised before. And I, I understand the constraints that can place yeah. upon you. And you have to be really conscious. As you say, there are living people still involved in this. It's it's not, you know, we're not talking about something that was decades and decades and decades ago. It's, it's quite fresh in people's memories. So you have to be authentic and true to what happened. But I think it shouldn't impact the filmmaking to that extent. I understand why that would affect story and plot lines. Mm. Of course, I get that. And writing to some extent, because you can't just fictionalise and invent huge portions of things. But I think when it comes down to filmmaking and kind of dramatic intent and all of that, I think that should still be there Mm. and can still be there. Well... A Confession airs on Monday, September the 2nd at 9pm on ITV. Uh, also out this week is The Loudest Voice. This is a show about Russell Crowe in a fat suit. Uh, it's a drama that casts Crowe as Roger Ailes, the evil mastermind behind Fox News and the subject of numerous sexual misconduct investigations. Uh, this aired in early August in the States and it follows Ailes uh, you know, as he's building the Republican cable news propaganda machine that now effectively programs the current US president. Uh, and all the shit that followed after that. Boyd... 
Was this good for what ails you? Oh, wow. What Sorry, I really need to stop was, those puns because they're even upsetting me. But anyway, did you like it? I don't like to, you know me, I don't like to get carried away uh, generally, but I was fucking massively disappointed by this. No, thank God, I thought you were going to say yeah, the opposite. I, I, was I like, know, oh, I was going to no. say, did you love it? What's wrong with you? What's happening? To the point where it made me quite furious. Good. I think it's such a missed opportunity. It's so clunky and obvious where to begin first of all as as you alluded to his the whole fat suit the makeup is not convincing first i mean if you've got to get past that that initial fact that that russell crowe is playing this guy who was a big 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 guy mm. roger ailes and they try and and they and they give him a huge amount of latex you know stuff on his face it, but you just keep it doesn't look real does it there's something about either the way it's been shot and lit and everything but I think it's moments. the prosthetic itself. Because it doesn't, it doesn't. If you know, it doesn't move. So no, when his right. face moves and when he talks, yeah. it doesn't move, yeah. and it's so distracting so because all you can look at is right. is the fact, yeah. and he he moves really awkwardly <laughs> because terrible, he's yeah. got a massive prosthetic yeah. on his. But neck. then you've also got Rupert Murdoch um, played by <laughs> Simon Burney, who's got his own Murdoch mask yeah. on, and he's got a similar thing that he they've they've obsessively tried to get them looking like their real life counterparts, forgetting that it's totally off putting and it takes you completely out of the story anyway but more importantly than that i found the whole style and tone and storytelling incredibly old-fashioned and um almost to the point where it was it felt like it'd been made about 10 years ago like when it set or you know however long yeah. ago it was so the first episode is the build-up to the launching of fox news I, I could not be more interested in this stuff this is my absolute i'm obsessed with all this you know how the importance of fox news how it has yeah. changed america and changed the world and fucking trump does literally that's his whole life is watching this and channel then, and yeah, and there's a whole Me Too element of it as well. And yet, it was quite boring. There were long, long scenes where Rod, the Roger Ailes character just stands there holding forth, explaining how brilliant he is, and just speechifying. And it brings the whole drama to a halt. And I just thought, and you know what? I said, halfway through, I thought, what is wrong with this whole thing? It's just not working anyway. And I thought, Succession, your favourite, which yeah. really it needs to be like that. It needs to have the quick fire pace and immediacy of a something like succession or any of those Armando Nucci things if it had been done like that or even like the big short and you know mm. and vice yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. texture to it but it's all so staid and tedious and slow and stagey it's really and the first episode terrible. is written and directed by Tom McCarthy right who did, did bloody spotlight yeah. you know so you Which don't is, yeah. expect that no, from it, it. I was I could not believe how 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 bad it is. Yeah, I, I think it felt, and I don't want to say because I I know a lot of people's work done this. I'm not going to say it's lazy and it's, but it felt like it didn't it didn't go below the skin. Do you know what I mean? It seemed a really sort of surface level account of what happened, and like you know, right up to the point where when he's interviewing uh, like a female anchor for the job, and the sexual harassment is so overt, like he's running his thumb over her lips and stuff. It's like for all I know, that literally happened, but it just felt like a really like really sort of first base, you know, stand up of this 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 conservative boogeyman. And this is obviously what he was, but I just there was no subtlety to that depiction. And I was just rolling my eyes slightly. And he's just such an an unrepentant twat all the way through this. And there's a I got I enjoyed the scene, the boardroom scene, where he basically like thunders at everyone, <laughs> screams and shouts. And they have that thing where he kind of vacillates between this sort of avuncular, you know, happy fat man thing yeah. to like insane screaming psychopath but it's just not fun and then Seth MacFarlane is just bumbling around in the background doing yeah. I'm not sure what yeah. and I just I wasn't particularly drawn with it. and I, exactly as you say like I'm fascinated on paper by this 
piece of history and how it happened, but not fascinated by watching this account of no. how it happened. No. So it was really disappointing. But you don't, you don't even believe his genius because at the heart of it has always been this thing, which is he's a he's a terrible human being. He did mm. all these awful things, but he completely he's, really he's amazing. Mm. He made him and Murdoch, mm. well, primarily him with his vision, made Fox News happen. Yeah. And there's a there's a scene where he has this where it's essentially a eureka moment where he defines what Fox News is. It's so verse based what he says, and you're never convinced that he is this great visionary, that he has this amazing media brain. You don't buy any of it whatsoever. I mean, to your point, James, that scene you're talking about with the girl, yeah. I mean, he ends that scene by saying, how do you get on with your dad? Yeah. And there's I, been I a, mean, what the fuck? There's been a scene a few, a few <laughs> minutes earlier where he said to another woman, I do enjoy you in a pearl necklace. I mean, you know, as you say, maybe it was on the nose, but when you're watching it, you're like, yeah. really? And there is, there is no nuance. So you don't, it feels superficial and thin in a really surprising mm. way. You're not convinced you know any more about him as a man, um, professionally, personally. You do see that kind of volatile character and you understand kind of what that must be like to have been around. Um, he's so domineering to his wife, Beth. Like y- y- They paint that picture very well, but... I didn't feel like I learned anything, like I understood any more about him. That I really kind of, they painted a true portrait of him and his his flaws as well as obviously what made him be able to, to build such a huge fucking mm. network. Um, and the, the, I mean, the prosthetics, there was a bit with Rupert Murdoch where he moved his neck in a meeting and there was this massive big bulge of prosthetic and I was like... <laughs> I don't understand. Like, you know what? Fucking Christian Bale did Vice and put on a shitload of weight. Get fat, Russell Crowe. (laughs) Get fat. Get dead fat. Because the the prosthetic is so distracting. And it it just makes it really hard because you're constantly going, it's Russell Crowe in a fat suit. And it completely impairs his performance. Physically, it impairs his performance. And so it just feels like you're watching a weird kind of parody or something when actually this as you two are saying this should be super compelling this the meat at the heart of this story it's a fascinating part of american media culture that has now become a part of american political culture and american culture generally like it's Mm. massive this story and to your point boyd it was just a bit boring i was like yeah i found it really hard to get to the end it's really unself-aware and they make a really big deal about how they announce on television that fox news is going to be fair objective and balanced and of course that is the last thing in the world it is but the problem is is that this show is not objective fair or balanced I'm never going to defend Roger Ailes for any reason but they put him up as this really two dimensional boogeyman with no redeeming features and while that may be true everyone has something like a motivation something you can latch onto and sympathise with and they don't even attempt to find what the motivations are beyond megalomaniacal grief I actually wanted it to be more kind of opinionated in Mm. a way like I thought it was weirdly more damning. <laughs> I, I thought the. I know what you're saying. The way the portrayal of him is it, just so down the line and obvious. Yeah, that's. What, I mean, all we, what we, what do we know about Roger Ailes? He's in, a, he was he created the right wing yeah. uh, TV network and he abused women. Yeah, right. Those, and and so he's never going to be a good guy, right? No, but no. So, but the way it tells you want the, complex characters. Well, I just you? want an angle. I, there's not. I didn't feel there's even an angle. It's just showing what we know. We all know yeah. those things. There was no great insight. I think that's what it's lacking. What is driving him? Did he really believe? I mean, I'm, there are six more episodes. Yeah, but I actually watched some of episode two and I'm like, this is just carrying on being like this. <laughs> but 
but is and he... it's like they're, they're, they're actually I felt they it needed more it needs to be even more extreme in its condemnation or just slight just I don't know just add something give me some but kind if you of do that material that say, shows you what he, yeah go on. he's done this terrible thing and he's done this other terrible thing yeah. but like but behind him being terrible he's also an evil genius then yes. make him an evil genius right come hundred percent but he's not an evil no, genius he's, he's quite, a bumbling yeah. wrong and so when just, he's just going about his daily business he's kind of just yeah it's yeah. kind of no, he nothing like he's a, a chancer he's blagging it and then he gets furious in the meetings and, mm. and it, but none of it quite fits together there's no there's no there's no sense of why he is like he is does it you know what what does he actually believe in it's every decision weird. he makes in it seems to be a bit ill conceived like yeah. hiring Sean Hannity and who actually it turns out is like is a bit shit when he hires him and everyone thinks what are you doing yeah. and even Rupert Murdoch's a bit like you're doing a terrible <laughs> job and it's like okay and again maybe and by, oh, that's the other thing that's Rupert Murdoch certainly in this episode he's like the voice of reason I know, I know. I mean, any drama <laughs> fuck, I know. I'm sorry I've got to stop there any drama where fucking Murdoch even in if it's just in the first episode he's like the one keeping things together and the yeah. one saying what's really going on uh, no that's not going to work no indeed so that is the loudest voice it airs on Sky Atlantic and now TV uh, from on Thursday September the 5th at 9pm finally though this week we have what I think is a genuine oddity in terms of television. This is Nick Hornby's State of the Union, and it's a, it's a quite curious collection of 10-minute shorts directed by Stephen Frears and starring Rosamund Pike, a.k.a. Moiraine Damadred of the Aes Sedai, and, uh, and Chris O'Dowd <laughs> as a couple going through relationship counselling. Now, each short takes place in the 10 minutes prior to their sessions. You don't see the counselling. Uh, and despite being set in the UK and made by people from this side of the pond, this aired in May, I think, back in, uh, in the US on Sundance TV. But it is here now, and it is, honestly, as witty and all-round delightful as I think you would pretty much hope from all of these people i absolutely love this i've watched the first five of them i'm absolutely going to watch the next five it's genius and it's essentially just a two-hander between o'dowd and pike in a pub when this started when it began i was a bit like oh and the thing that kind of put me off initially just very very briefly was i thought there was a touch of word salad to it you know a touch of like it's very very witty and very very not overwritten but very precisely written and nick hornby who's an incredibly good writer is clearly very proud of his dialogue and my whole thing was you know like how our early kevin smith movies have Mm. this like clarks and morans Mm. and stuff it's like humans don't talk like this but actually that you know if that even bothers you at all which it probably won't last all of about 10 seconds because they are both incredibly likable incredibly funny and even though they are going through this marital strife and they both have their legitimate grievances the way they put those grievances across i think is both real and true and believable and also really really funny and really really poignant it's very bittersweet and i found myself just finding them both delightful company and the fact that they go from airing their differences with each other you know picking holes in each other's personality as you know couples do uh, there's there's uh, there's grievances about past misdeeds there's been an infidelity but then equally they'll come together to talk about another couple that they see coming out of the uh, of the counseling office or talking about someone else or they run into a pair of friends Ashlyn B turns up randomly at one point it's it's you know it's really really good and really really honest and I yeah, absolutely love this I didn't watch it because I ran out of time. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. <laughs> All I'm going to say... You hadn't, even, you hadn't even noticed that we were going to do oh, it. Oh, no, it no, I didn't literally notice. literally ten minutes long. I know, but I, I literally ran out of time. Yeah. All right, boy, did you like it? Oh, well, I, I, that's, that's annoying because I'm really intrigued as to whether Terry's going to like it or not. I it's, think I'll tell you would. one thing. I, I mean, I not? like it. It's fucking middle class, I'll tell you. Oh, it's, uh, it's the most middle class. It's the most yes, middle class thing I've seen. But the brilliant thing, that perhaps it's saving grace... 
Well, no, I mean, I, I love it, by the way. But yeah. the casting is genius because Chris O'Dowd, because he is in, in his own act, in his Irish accent, yeah. he doesn't come across as particularly middle yeah. class. So you're like, oh, okay. So even though you know, everything's kind of set in this like gastro pub yeah. and they're on their way to counselling and all of the references are unbelievably middle class, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything that they say and do, it still, he brings it, gives it a kind of... He, he grounds ah, it, gives it, yeah, 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 an earthy quality to it. And also, the argument they have about Brexit is genius yeah. because they are, cause it turns yeah. out, well, it, the, yeah. he voted leave essentially and that kicks off and then it becomes a metaphor for their whole marriage and it's just geniusly put together yeah. when you stop when you and that's in episode two when the, the brexit thing comes in which is brilliant and that does and it is called state of the union and that yeah. does you you're, from then you're constantly thinking oh this is a metaphor and what's really interesting is you never quite know or at least in, in i've watched three episodes you never quite know whether they how the extent to which they still like or don't dislike each other that is is really well done the state of their relationship the mm. state of the union is fascinating and kind of their issues with each other and the way that because there's another couple they keep so a lot of it the brilliant thing is there's another couple who they observe who go to the yeah to, who go to the shows before they do and they observe them and they're behaving really weirdly and they're trying to work out what they're doing hmm. or we're trying to work out what the main central couple we're watching are doing it's really clever and smart and even though and, and I think he's done a brilliant job Nick Hornby of writing mm. it and Stephen Frears even though he fell asleep in one of my better, <laughs> uh, Q and A's has done a brilliant job of directing it I really but like it yeah. this I think it stands the simplicity of this is its genius it is each one yeah. is 10 minutes long but it just shows what happens when you have really great razor sharp hyper articulate writing and two incredibly charismatic and capable performers because yeah. I think it's, it really is you know those two you know the, this dialogue is very very uh, witty but it requires a, a subtlety and it requires a lightness of touch and I think they both really nail it yeah um, yeah no I, I found this quite delightful actually delightful delightful quite delightful I found it quite delightful <laughs> a little class. bit delightful James finds well, it quite delightful I've already gone off it <laughs> oh no but this is good now this and now this airs on, on BBC 2 and it's Sunday September the 8th it starts now is it when when are we seeing them are they dropping every day are they no so they're working? showing it in double bills weekly ok so you, Sunday, get, but, you get 20 minutes a week no 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 but you can, and you can watch the whole thing it will arrive on iPlay that night as well oh do that then so you can watch the whole I, bloody I, thing I, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. much more fun to binge this is yeah. uh, it, it's, it's great fun highly recommend State of the Union um, what would be you, I mean Terry's kind of disqualified from pick of the week but uh, for having not watched everything but what would be your pick of the week of the things you saw the capture Boyd oh the capture yeah oh, mine was State of the Union oh, okay. I loved it mm-hmm. I think it's really really good but anyway all good all worth watching apart from the one that isn't um, so Banshee you didn't have one last week I can't help but notice I won't oh, hold yeah. that against you clearly <laughs> only, only one holding this franchise together I mean, in so many ways. Yeah, Boyd, do you do you have a thing? I do have a thing this Go week. On. I was inspired by your story, James. I wanted to do. I thought <laughs> well, there must be a show in my mind that is all about the heroic of the heroics of journalism. I wanted the journalist <laughs> hero, defiant against all the bad guys and the enemy, a kind of voice of liberal reason. And what I remembered was a show which was genuinely a favourite of mine growing up called Lou Grant. Do you ever? Did you ever watch Lou Grant? Rings a bell, but I don't the number know of people who don't know Lou Grant. What is it? Lou Grant starred Ed Asner. It was. It, it started in 1977 and went on for quite a few series. And it was actually Ed Asner is the editor of a newspaper. The, the, the titular Lou Grant and it was a spin-off unbelievably from the Mary Tyler Moore show which was a sitcom a legendary sitcom yeah. and the spin-off of that Rhoda was another spin-off of that which is another legendary sitcom all of these shows I loved Rhoda was my favourite comedy growing up but Lou Grant was a drama so what they took they took a character from a sitcom spun it off and turned it into an hour long drama series it was a really weird thing to That's do tripping. yeah and I'm not sure if anyone's ever done it since but, but it worked really isn't well isn't this like Machete with uh, Danny Trejo was spun <laughs> out of Spy Kids <laughs> oh my god 
my God. Should I, mean, I not say machete? I'm like glad that. he did, but it's not like that at all, no. no. I mean, he's Mexican, <laughs> yeah. and that was clearly Japanese. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, oh, anyway. Um, but it was created by James L. Brooks um, of Broadcast News fame. It's about the br- journalism, the heroic nature of journalism, and it's really good and entertaining, and it was great. Yeah, okay. No, I've never heard of that, it turns out. No, good. All right, fine. That's my, hence the point of uh, Banshee. That's good, it's yeah. good. It's good like the way you tied that back to my own <laughs> heroic efforts on the part of journalism. Uh, mine is, oh, Terry's standing up. What's going on? My bum's gone numb. Okay. Um, <laughs> mine, mine, I wanted to talk about the Lenny Henry show. <laughs> oh, God, Terry's right on. Terry's no, face is no, a picture. No, 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 no. So, so, the Lenny Henry show. And no, 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 let me justify it. Wait till I finish. Don't start attacking me. Yeah. So, the Lenny Henry show obviously began as a sketch show in 1984, but I would like to speak about the two years from 1987 onwards where it became a sitcom. Terry Stone. Okay, fine. So, so it, it, the sitcom incarnation of this, in which the uh, well, the Tiswas veteran and Dudley-born comedian Lenny Henry played pirate radio DJ Delbert Wilkins. Yes, yes, it's true. So he, he ran his radio show out the back of Alex Kazoblis's kebab shop. Uh, Vaz Blackwood was in this as Winston, his kind of right-hand man. Uh, Gina McGee was in this as one of the, uh, the as a waitress working in the restaurant, and it was really, really good. Like this, it kind of consisted of him in in sort of outrageous coloured suits. With a really weird rhombus-shaped haircut and this macaw-like laugh that this he had. This is the most unlikely banshee. But also, I'm, introducing... I'm enjoying the fact he's talking about, like, he's the only person who's ever discovered this. <laughs> Please tell me more about Delbert Wilkins, No, James. but I don't think this is as well-known as you think it is. Oh, my God. I'm going to say a significant number <laughs> of people... I made a Delbert Wilkins reference on Twitter last year and my replies were flooded. All right, maybe I'm wrong then. I just assumed that not a lot of people knew Delbert Wilkins. <laughs> so I, you know, and to be honest, I, you know, I really enjoyed the show I thought it was great you know tell us more about what was his name Lenny <laughs> I hate what you. was it Hen- <laughs> I think it's his birthday today you know how like just because he used to way. introduce brilliant new adjectives like crucial and spondicious remember he had that thing that Delbert Wilkins guide to cruciality that there's a camera we remember bit. all of it this is not your discovery <laughs> oh my god fine Whatever. I, say, I, was I not hate you all. This. What is happening? I got thinking about Lenny Henry on the weekend. I can't remember what it was, but he popped up and I was like, oh my God, Delbert Wilkins. So that made me want to bring it up on the podcast. So I'd like to banshee Vicar of Dibley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the long lost, withering sarcasm. Is long lost. <laughs> only false <laughs> you, you may not have heard of it. So basically, she plays, she's like a vicar, right? But she's like uh-huh. a lady vicar, right. which is like mm. what makes it so like revolutionary. And who's in that, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. Oh my God, I forgot her name. <laughs> Ironically, was married to Lenny Henry, Dawn French. Dawn French. Yes. She's a comedian. Yes, yes, I know. Yes. Um, she sometimes does something with a, uh. another female comedian. Did you ever watch Girls on Top? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, please tell you me about that. that. I mean, that would have had slightly more validity, Girls really? on Top. You think that was less seen than, than Delbert Wilkins? Yeah, it was. Yeah, because that was the first thing a lot of those people did. Yeah, I should have done bet Girls on you top. loads of people listening to this have never heard of Delbert Wilkins. Anyway, well, you can't buy it, but you can. All the Delbert Wilkins episodes are on YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, you can watch it there. Oh, will you do Blackadder next week? <laughs> can we just rename this segment like James gets pilloried for trying to, you know, spread a bit of love to the world? Oh, can I just, when we rename this section, James doesn't understand the rules of his own franchise? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add before we go? No. Well, apart we should... from Boyd has to win Banshee, oh, yeah. even though I've never heard of that and it sounds a bit of shit. Because, <laughs> because your really thing good. is so not valid. We should mention the new issue. 
We haven't oh, done yes. that. <laughs> so uh, on Thursday next week, actually this week, this week, because this will be going out on Monday, Yeah. Um, the new issue of Pilot TV is out with Empire Magazine, which, by the way, has the world exclusive for The Irishman with Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, um, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci on the cover. Um, but we also have Pilot TV, and in Pilot TV this issue we have a massive special on the upcoming two years slash 25 decades of Marvel television. Boyd writes an amazing love letter, angry love letter to the <laughs> OA. Um, he interviews Killian Murphy, Helen Mirren, basically interviewed everybody in the magazine, Boyd, I wasn't <laughs> realising the other day. We've got American Horror Story. We've got um, Bodies, which is a really great piece in James' section about Gone Too Soon. Um, Frasier, Seinfeld, The Politician. It is a cracking issue, if you'd like. Is there anything on Delbert Wilkins? So buy it. I'm sure there's going to be something in the next issue, bearing in mind how obsessed you now are with Delbert yeah. fucking Wilkins. My favourite thing is the thing about Seinfeld, a little obscure show, which maybe you could be oh. doing on, on oh, the yeah, next week. Yeah. You yeah. two are the bellends on this show, I have to say. <laughs> My God. Right, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you enjoyed it, I certainly didn't, but if you enjoyed it, then don't give us a five-star rating. No, instead, come and tell us how much you like it in person. Friday, 13th September, King's Place in London. We are doing this live, and we'd love you to be here. So head over to kingsplace.co.uk and book yourself some tickets. Boyd's close personal friend, Russell Tovey, will be on. He'll tell you all about all kinds of embarrassing stories from Boyd's misspent youth while we all laugh at him. So that's something to look forward to. Um, who doesn't want to see that? We'll be back next week with more of the same, assuming, that is, I make it back as glutton for punishment. As I said, I am back in the US next week. So the next time you hear from me, it could well be live from a holding cell at an airport. Let's hope they have the Lenny Henry Show. Pilot out. Pilot out.